0: In recent years, questions of gender equality and inequality have been raised in the creative arts, including within theatre, visual arts, music, dance and recently in film with the important Me Too conversations. Welcome to this special season of Delving Into Dance. This three-part season explores international perspectives about gender equality in dance. This season complements a significant Delving Into Dance report that examines gender inequality within Australian dance. This report, Turning Point, presents some confronting data and the roles the whole industry can play in rectifying this situation. You can find the report on delvingintodance.com and join the conversation, leave a comment and share it with your friends. This third episode of this season is with Ilsa Gakira, a dancer, choreographer, writer and researcher from Belgium. Her recent work has explored Me Too moments within structures of dance. But I started by asking, where did dance start?
1: Yeah, so I I did ballet and some dancing when I was a child, but nothing was really seriously. And it was only in my later teens that I was introduced to contemporary dance, and I was quite fascinated by it, but I never saw myself in that world or becoming a professional dancer, like, at all. And in high school, we had a very, very charismatic art history teacher, so I thought, I will do art history, I will go to university, Um, But then somehow this idea of being, you know, being in a dance school, I mean, I had no idea what that meant, but there was some kind of a fantasy around it. And I just wanted to give it a chance because it felt like something that was impossible. And so I did just audition in two schools. And I mean, one school was way too technical. There was no way I would have... I would have been allowed. But there was another school that was a bit more experimental and the director there, she was, she was definitely an eccentric person. And I think she just thought, you know, like you're an interesting person. Let's, you know, let be welcome in our dance department. And that's actually how it started. Yeah.
0: What did it feel like? like what is that the drive to, I guess, dance or uh, to practice through your body or to communicate through your body?
1: Yeah, what is that? I think especially at a younger age, it totally made sense. Um, there was there was something in doing dance that was a way of expressing something that I felt was unexpressible in any other way. Um, and to be also an evolving body. I mean, you're still quite young when you start high school you're like um when you start like higher education i mean you're 18 and so many things are still also changing with your body so it totally made sense to be busy with movement and i had an extremely nice class like the people around me were like my peers were very interesting and they came from different backgrounds and extremely supportive so i think that's really what kind of sucked me in this other world, it just felt so far away from um, the environment that I had grown up in up until I was 18. Everything felt so normative. And then this dance world and these dance people, they just seemed extremely like free and open minded. And it just felt like a world of possibilities.
0: That's so beautiful as a description. <laughs> it's quite interesting. I find that there is a divide between and this is a bit of a generalisation, but women who started dance at a very young age and have grown up mm. within that system and those that have made, maybe dabbled or uh, have participated in dance but not not overly with that as an end goal of a career but starting or getting into, into it a bit later uh, generally are uh, bigger thinkers uh, that sounds really r- wrong as a word, but...
1: Maybe maybe less burdened with uh, specific expectations. I really felt that I was less burdened because there were a couple of people in my class that I remember had gone to um, like the Royal um, Ballet School uh, before they went into contemporary dance. And so for them, it was very clear that they were not fitting into a classical ballet model. And so therefore they were doing contemporary dance. Um, and their way of moving and their identity as, as as a dancer was much more coded. And if you start dancing on such a like, like high level at a young age, like at the age of 18, like you just wanna be a dancer, I guess. That's like what you want to be. And I think for me, it was a relief to feel that I did not have to become a dancer. I just felt already so lucky that I could try it out for a couple of years and then I still could maybe go back to university or do something that was more combined. So I think there was just more more like more, like freedom in, in that, yeah.
0: Can we talk a little bit about some of the research that you've been doing <laughs> that is I kind of found in a really big way that women are feeling that they're being treated differently to men. Um, Can you tell me maybe like about what you found out within some of that research and what surprised you?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, so maybe to really shortly say, so I started dancing and I was dancing for four years and then I decided to go back to university while I was dancing at the same time. And so this research is actually the first time where I feel I bring together these two experiences at one side, um, being a person who, who who thinks about dance in a bigger realm and is also really interested in, in, in researching um, it on a not artistic level. And at the same time uh, thinking about my artistic um, experiences. And this was a way uh, of understanding my own experience. And I just wanted to see how other colleagues, other female colleagues, felt uh, the way I felt about certain observations or certain experiences. And so I started these interviews with a question that was extremely broad. Um, So it was like a way to invite my colleagues into a conversation that would analyze their trajectory from a gendered perspective. So we would talk about very general things and we would talk about education and what it is to get space or to not get space. We would talk about opportunity, representation, expectation, even like motherhood. And sexual intimidation and sexual harassment was part of like this bigger idea of like what sexism is, what it means to be a gender body. But I wasn't really looking for it per se. So... Um, It were just, yeah, I just think I started off with really open conversations that were very warming and were very, yeah, just were very, um, very interesting to like listen to people's um, or to these women's um, uh, uh, very personal experiences, especially also the experience of the dancer, which I still feel is an experience that is often not so highlighted. It's very often the author and it's, it's still there that it's more about the choreographer and I was interested in, like, the dancer and the dancer body and the dancer's um, uh, knowledge as as a way of thinking about about dance and also to think about that as, like, a new form of authorship. Um, yeah.
0: So in and regards you, to that yeah. authorship and yeah. that dancer, there's, there is obviously a power relationship there, Uh and that the dancer is serving a vision, and if the dancer is no longer serving the vision, then um, they can be replaced by somebody else who can serve that vision.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's actually a very beautiful side of dance that we, we we're dealing with an art form that is a collective art form, and I'm not saying that horizontal working is the only work, um, the only way to work. I also think it is sometimes pleasant to have a certain hierarchy it, the problem comes when there's no transparency about that hierarchy and the problem comes when people who are lower in the hierarchy are being treated dis- disrespectfully or they feel that they're not listened to or they feel that they're easily replaceable um yeah
0: and what were some of the things that you found within that yeah. i guess set of questions or that uh, that interrogation or examination <laughs>
1: Yeah, it was interesting that everyone almost started with their dance education and I think there is a frustration about like a very obvious, um, um, like a lack of unequal gender opportunity that just starts at a dance education. People remember the auditions and how many young women were present and how many young men were present and that obviously in our culture dancing is still seen as a very like in a very female art form so girls are encouraged in their you know child years and their teenage years to think of themselves as maybe a dancer so when you end up in these auditions like the the quota is already so out of balance but the decision making because schools want dance to be more equal like the boys get much more opportunity they actually just have more chance to succeed and be accepted and i think that's something that we don't like to talk about because we also understand that it's important that just I mean, we don't want dance to be just a feminine art i mean we don't want to go and do into those stereotypes. But there is a reality about who gets access and because of a quota, um, yeah, it's just easier for men to start as a dancer, especially as an older age. That was also something that came back that women starting later with dance was seen as, as something more rare than men starting later a dance career because there was some kind of an idea that Male bodies, um, and that's also true that male bodies like take a little longer to um, like m- biologically mature, um, but that that was seen as that these these young men had still so much more potential. So schools would accept them even if their skills were not so good because they were still like in this stage of full potential, and that's extremely unfair towards women. I think it's a extremely stereotypical way to look at bodies
0: and it's also problematic then when you look at those quotas as providing opportunity in a training institution or what have you and the numbers coming out of a training institution and then you look at generally who's leading the companies or being given opportunities to choreograph for big main stage companies so dominated by men and there's this weird flip
1: yeah and i think even like on a more psychological level there is because you have the feeling that maybe as a woman you have to compete more you're also questioning yourself more so your sense of security um uh, like self-security or confidence is is probably lower than you know a, 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 a man who is like seen as more interesting in like a dance world and who is more encouraged and gets more space to start off with less skills. Um, And I think this all, like, on a a subtle level, um, yeah, creates places and creates, like, uh, zones of comfort. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Can we talk a little bit, I mean, obviously the Me Too movement and the conversations of sexism in the arts, particularly in film and other spaces has really gained I guess a lot of momentum and conversation. Can we talk about what you found out within dance in that space?
1: Yeah. Um, I think what is very specific about dance is that our profession is directly linked to our body and that invites for a blurring of the private and the professional and that often can be also liberating you know that's like it it deviates from, from uh, it deviates away from a certain norm of how we think about our bodies but at the same time it also can be very confusing and 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 problematic especially because we have been trained in our educations to push our boundaries so to talk about boundaries it's just a very interesting conversation it i also cannot like give a clear answer on it but it was very interesting to think and to start talking about so what does it mean these boundaries who sets these boundaries and when are you encouraged to push your boundaries and when you're when are you actually literally like pushed over a boundary that you realize later was a boundary you actually did not want uh, to cross hmm. so i think uh, in in relation to me too, and, and, and sexual harassment, I th- I think we definitely have a challenge challenge there as well. Like how do we how do we think about her, like harassment, um, while well knowing that um, that our bodies are also a platform for experiment, and that's also really important. And so how can we think about our bodies as 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 these entities that we experiment with? without harming ourselves yes so yeah and i mean if i can like go a little further i think another aspect that came back was representation so what is expected from us to be on stage we are expected in certain contexts to be sexualized objects because that's the interest that's the artistic interest maybe that's questioned maybe that's not questioned it doesn't really matter but it's like a representation and the representation, especially of young female dancers that are that are staged in sexualized ways, this has become a part also of a contemporary dance uh, canon, especially in Belgium, where in the 80s there was a booming of experimental dance. And a lot of this experimental dance had to do with the liberation of the body, therefore a lot of nudity was staged and I think that's very interesting but it's interesting to also think that those were the 80s and there might have been a certain liberation there that today maybe is not the same liberation actually maybe right now we are just reproducing a canon and we are filling in expectations of a certain audience that wants to see a certain image of a sexualized young woman on stage and um, so and that was very exciting you know to start talking about nudity because I think a lot of us just feel like well it's something you do or not do and if you do it it's only like surplus you know <laughs> in your in in your professional in your professional trajectory because it's it gives possibilities um, and also most of the dancers I mean I think almost all the dancers they don't mind going naked they just start they just began or they, there's now there seems to be now like a growing conversation about when is it artistically interesting and when not and what is my say in that because a choreographer might decide that this is interesting for his or her artistic proposal but to me as a dancer maybe I don't agree and so in how far do I have agency to speak up and actually say what I think about um, my naked body on stage. Um, so, yeah and i think if you then also go further so and i'm just saying so there's a certain like representation and there's nudity and then there's our 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 boundaries that we cross and we have this professional body and all of that and it was interesting to hear this like this unwanted sexual approaches um and then it also makes makes sense in this um in this way of thinking about the body and representing the body that there is some kind of and i call it a courting and hunting mentality um where then someone in power um suddenly maybe through this sexual objectification just starts to project his or her feelings upon to this person and um, then there's declarations of love or there's invitations for, for, yeah, sexual encounters. And it's, it's like, where, where does that belong in your professional field? Those are all things that you have to deal with aside from also being a performer. Um, and then there were some examples where I just felt it was just, just a lot of shame because the situations just felt so, yeah, so just sad and wrong and you clearly see and I think the person also herself saw that there was a because the person can think about it back in retrospect and in retrospect it's clear that there is a power a, a power, um, a power uh, division and that this person in power obviously took advantage from the fact that someone who's just graduated and then this links again. To, to like a neoliberal market and a very subjective um, art market, where suddenly you get kind of offered like a job for some money or it's together with actually a person, uh, an artist who has a certain prestige. So people also think like, oh, maybe it's not well paid, but at least it's, it's a visibility. It's an opportunity. And then this person is actually asked to do something artistically, which is not really clear clearly artistically and there was a lot of like I mean like the coming back of the of the naked photo shoots it's almost like it's almost like a joke I think I mean it's just so obvious but if you're if you're young and you you're just starting in this field and you know there's little jobs and it's all about you know doing things and having experiences of course you don't say no because actually going naked is not such a it's 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 not such a big deal so you get into these situations where then after the person feels really bad, because maybe that person, maybe the artist was trying to take advantages or started to you know harass her, and then it becomes like these difficult situations or these complicated situations that you just rather don't uh, don't talk about. Um, and then I also feel that there is um, this culture of silencing definitely is linked to this self precarization. Um, Uh, having like a feeling that there's no space where you can complain because complaining might mean, um, might mean that you, that you will uh, like jeopardize your, your own uh, career uh, possibilities. And a lot of people just also think, yeah, it's part of the job. It's something you go through and you learn. And then after you've learned, you let go of it. So there's also no passing of, of, of knowledge. Um, between different generations and then you also see that very often older women are actually part of like a network of enablers because people in the field do know that these things happen they are often also like public secrets so this culture of secrecy also points at people just not taking these things seriously as if as if there is an idea that as a young person you just have to go through some kind of like bullying and harassment and being objectified Mm,
0: yeah and so what are the ways forward i mean they're a very serious set of issues and very uh obviously there's a lot a lot happening you know within that system and there's different levers what are some of the ways forward or what are some of the things that we should be talking about thinking about and acting upon
1: i mean i think so so after the after the publication of my article, immediately there was a response in the dance world and some colleagues came together because whatever conversation we were having um, in our dance community was also happening in other dance communities, in, in the Swedish dance community, in the Norwegian dance community, I mean, a lot of like Scandinavian in the Iceland um, uh, theater and dance company, um, there was like, at a certain point, it also felt that a lot of different um, dance communities came together because even though I also think my, my research is quite Belgium specific, there are overlaps and, and there are situations that are extremely recognizable. And so I think one of the things that was very important in this discussion is to feel the broadening of the discussion to also feel that whatever we are talking about is not something small. We are actually trying to tackle um, we, are ta- we are trying to tackle sexism in the, in the international dance field, but at the same time we are talking about, um, about a larger set of, of challenges in, in the broader society. so, I think that really helps. Um, that really helps to, like, you know, put weight on this discussion. So I think that the one thing that we've been like trying to do in this community is to make sure that this discussion doesn't die out. That it doesn't feel like, oh, you know, me too. It was something that happened um, last October, November, and now it's kind of uh, fading away. So I think like one of the things was this, this uh, sensibilization, this like constant trying to be like, oh, this is an opportunity, this is a festival, let's talk about it again, uh, keep the conversation open. And so we started a website with a statement where we tried in a very accessible way to address the problems. And so what we did in that statement was to address the different players in this problem. So we did, we addressed the artist, and then we addressed uh, the institutions, and then we addressed the school educations, um, then we addressed the educators, and then I think we also, wait, there's five, and then we also addressed the person, like, the people who actually crossed the line. So we were trying to think, like, who is actually part of this conversation, because we- it's not only us, it's not only the dancers who, who can have this conversation. It's not only the artists who can have this conversation. This is like a structural problem and we need to think on different levels and we need to like play on different trajectories. Um, and this has, this, I mean, at least in our community, it feels like things are changing, though the conversation is going slowly. But I also think that's not such a bad thing. Um, no one has been really named out um publicly which was a a big part of of something that we had decided as a movement to not point fingers to one person because we saw that as maybe a threat to to have uh, the conversation just revolving around one person because we knew it was not only like one person and it's a structural problem and it's not only about like finding who is like the worst in the field and then just getting rid of that person um so, so yeah, I think, like, one of the things is, like, that it has to come from, like, different directions and that in order to also find the partners in this field who are somehow, like, gatekeepers, um, to address them and to to have them, like, on the same boat feels... Like, it really feels that then we are actually, like, going somewhere. Yeah.
0: And how have you found that reception from the bigger players and those kind of things have you found that people are prepared to engage or the door is open
1: um i think at first there was a bit of skepticism i think people reacted or they 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 saw it as something sensational and something that might harm might harm this vulnerable art scene like the the art industry uh, the art industry and especially the dance industry we are one of the countries that has a very good uh, subsidy system for for, for for dancers. And I think they saw it as an attack and as a critique um, at first. And then little by little, I think they saw that um, some sensation was needed to get the conversation going and that we were actually extremely di- diplomatic um, and organized in the way we, we, we talk about these issues and how we also see, or how we think about change and, and where we can imply um, changes. And so, I mean, it has happened on like de- different like different levels, but there has been like a confidant training. So for a person, like, so that smaller companies would have uh, a person that dancers can go to and, and, and talk with. Um, we spoke to definitely several programmers who definitely want to be supportive and, started the conversation also about quota and they also asked but what also can we do then about like sexual harassment and there seems to be um, um, there seems to be like a good conversation uh, going on but we are I mean at the same time it is also very like we sometimes call it like a soup because it's like so many things at the same time that you try to do and um, it really feels like a movement that is shifting uh, slowly and I I can say that the, the conversation from like half a year ago just after the after the publication of the article uh, compared to the situation now I feel first of all people take the conversation really seriously they're very open um, there's much more listening uh, I also think a frustration of also not really knowing like how to change it immediately. Um, but yeah, but I just, I do feel we are, we are on to something. But as I say, it only has been six months. So uh, it feels like it's, it's all about like keeping the conversation uh, going.
0: Yeah. You touched on something that I have been struggling with and it's that line between critiquing a field that you love and also supporting it. And that idea that to critique something is to, yeah, almost trash it. But at the same time, it comes from such a place of love and actually about making it a stronger field. Can you talk about that challenge that you found?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. Well, first of all, I think like, critical thinking is part of, like it's a public space. It's a space where we should share critical thinking. And if a critical thinking is not allowed because we are afraid that we might um, destroy something, mm, I think then there's something wrong. Then we're not really, especially in a field as as, as, as dance, like art fields, we should be progressive. We should, we should think about like possible changes. Um, yeah, I just find I mean, it has been interesting because I spoke the other week to a, a, a director of an, an art space and she had done something radical with programmation. And then she said she was so she was so afraid, you know, for the launching and that people would have comments because she had taken the stance. And then she said it was it was not it was not so shocking. It was not so it like people were not like as offended as I thought they would be. And I think the same with what I've been trying to do is, yes, this article like sh- was shaking a little bit the ground for a little bit, but the critique quite quickly evolved into a critique that obviously was extremely welcome. And so I got a lot of support as well. And there's programmers and there's certain teachers who are extremely supportive of this. And um, yeah, I think this fear of not giving critique is also linked to linked to maybe an, a myth that art is so vulnerable. Maybe it is not as vulnerable as we think it is. And maybe this idea that it's vulnerable makes us like like shut up and makes us just accept the status quo. So I'm all up for critiquing even critiquing the things you love because I think that's where the most interesting critique happens.
0: Yeah, totally. I t- totally agree, but it's a very it's yeah. a very real challenge at times.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no. But um It's it's a, it's also a good practice to see who who are your allies. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's
1: a good check. It's like it's a good check, like, also with yourself. Like, what do I stand for?
0: Talking about allies, I think one of the things that has surprised me in many of the interviews that I've done um, is the way that men have behaved and performed in the industry that they might not be aware of or the effect that they've had on their female colleagues. And many of um, the people that I interviewed said that, that the men that they, you know, hold dear would be shocked and horrified if they knew at times how they made them feel. What is a space for men within these thinkings? What is their role? What can they do to become better advocates and better players?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a difference between men who really cross the line and men who actually have never crossed the line. (laughs) So I think men who have been harassers um it's interesting to see that there's two ways of 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 reacting on this conversation either they react in defense or they react in total denial and i'm so much i'm still not sure like what is the worst the denial or the defense because it brings me to a conclusion that In our field, but I think it's also like at, at large in our society is that there's not a lot of space for a real apologetic conversation, not a simple story, like a real apologetic conversation that starts from listening, that starts from understanding and that starts from an empathy that is not immediately turned towards like themselves again, which I think is another like, very frustrating situation where you actually get to a place where you sit down with a person who has harassed you, and there is a space to discuss the problem, but then this, this harasser like turns the whole conversation into some kind of uh, self-development, oh, I'm so sorry, now I understand more things about myself, and actually stops listening to the, to the person who is harassed. So that's like you know that would be my observations and my my advice uh, to to people who have harassed. Like just like check in. You 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 actually might have done things to people, and if you're aware of it, you actually can ask. Maybe this person will say this was for me, not harassment. Harassment and the experience of harassment is a is a very personal and, and individual experience. Um, so. Yeah, that, that conversation just should be there. And I think it's a very, very healthy conversation to have. Then the men who maybe have never, you know, crossed the line, I feel that most of them are actually really supportive because they have seen other men crossing the line and not knowing, like, what to do about it. So I think they are very happy to have this conversation, um, uh, to, have this, to have this conversation in our field right now because they i th- i think it's hard to be a bystander especially if you're a man because you don't want to you don't want to point out to the to the woman that maybe something something is happening to her that is not okay but then i do think that there is a potential with maybe pointing it out to the harasser especially because there is there is like a bonding male brother culture like well let's let's then use this culture to also like call um, like your male colleagues out and say like you know we, we know this toxic masculinity and we know this culture like what are you doing why are you doing it, it makes me uncomfortable um, this is not okay and so I think that's like a way of like helping it first of all showing your support and actually saying I, I, I believe and I, I, I recognize the problem and yeah to, beca- to become allies in, in the conversation and to also dare to step up when needed
0: Mm. Can we talk about your the website that was launched on International Women's Day and about that and what the purpose of I guess that site is for?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the things we wanted to do as a as a as a dance as a dance community was to reach out to other art fields. Um so this statement was a way to talk about sexism and abuse of power in our workplaces um, within a broader art field. And um, yeah, so as I said, we were trying, the website has a statement and it has tools. And in the statement, we address the artists, how we can engage as artists. Oh yeah, the, the website is called engagement. So we believe that different people need to engage in order to actually see change happen and so there are the artists and then we have a little description of what you can do as an artist then we have you can engage as an institution you can engage as art educators and then you also can engage as a spectator and then you can engage as someone who crossed uh, the line Mm, next to the statement there is a a tool section where in a very, very accessible way, we kind of um, explained like what you can do if you're a person working in the arts and are conf- confronted with sexism or sexual harassment or violence. What can you do if you're a person working, so an, an employee. And um, then in the second section, we kind of explain the basics. If you're an employer, like what can you do, what are, what are the different pr- procedures. Um it was actually a way to to clarify laws that are already there, and I think I also say that in my article like we need to know our rights better um and there should be more transparency because very often people don't know their rights because they are not uh, they are not communicated or they are not transparent um and uh, yeah, and we wanted to also put some like further reading um, uh, articles that we thought were interesting, where sexism was discussed within an, an, a research. Sexism in art was uh, discussed in a research. Um, there are some links to sister project, uh, sister project. So this we are not surprised. Uh, similar movement in the visual art world. We have voice similar movement in the music uh, world. Um, yeah
0: it's a great resource yes. um it's, <laughs> so it's one it's, that it's, i want to start <laughs> yeah it's one that i certainly want to spend more time kind of digesting because there's so much amazing stuff there and so much potential for i guess conversations to happen and expand upon
1: yeah i mean at the same time we still have very regular meetings so every two weeks and um, at the same location in the feminist library there's just an open gathering for anyone who identifies as a woman and who is in the arts and who wants to talk about issues of sexism. And then we share like experiences, but we also communicate what we've been doing, so that it's not just you know like a small group that is is, is working um, on all of these. Mm. Yeah meetings and or like more or or like the I feel we are like a small group doing a lot of work but it's very important that it's like stays communicated and that we also stay in touch with anyone who wants to reach out and be, be part of this movement so that has been I think a very very important and significant moment in our dance community because it was a kind of solidarity between women that I've never experienced in my entire life and um, it was interesting to see how welcome that was, because yeah, we just, we just don't do it enough. And I think it's, it's just, it's good. Like it's not a way of excluding men, but it's also just daring to say, well, certain issues are linked to the fact that I'm a woman and it's just easier to discuss them with other, other women and actually start from that common solidarity.
0: And so what's next?
1: What's next? Mm, so we started, we started like focus groups with um, educators. So we really want to reach out to all the art educations in Belgium. Yeah, we're not yet sure how we will do it. But I think it's like it's an exciting challenge to think about like what art I mean, if we if we can start a change in art education... At least we know there might be some kind of change in 10 years. So that has been like important. And I think at the same time, what we feel right now is, I mean, I also feel like I think from my work right now is to write a second article with observations that I have had. There seems to be, for example, a little bit of a confusion between the terms sexism, sexual harassment and abuse of power. And, um, we're trying to also now think about how to share like the collections of testimonies that we have by now to actually think of them as case studies and to, to share that knowledge with, with partners in the field and to think together about like, how do we use language? And then once we can name it and recognize it, how can I, how can we help? How can we, how can we, um, how can we interfere, but also at the same time, like, how can we prevent? How can we make sure that these situations uh, cannot happen? And I think one of the things that is extremely important is to create a culture where you feel you can speak up. That speaking up doesn't mean that you'll you'll, uh, lose your job. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much. I think it's um, the work that you're doing is incredible. And I think it is obviously changing a conversation. It's certainly getting word out there. Um, yeah, so thank you so yeah, much. thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. I encourage you to explore the episode notes at delvingintodance.com where you'll also find the self-funded report Turning Points, Gender Equality in Australian Dance. We all have a role to play. Join the conversation and spread the word. You can find Delving Into Dance on Twitter, on iTunes, and on Facebook. Lastly, Delving Into Dance relies on the support of you, the listener. Contribute now on the website. These contributions will help fund future research and episodes. Delving Into Dance also acknowledges the support of the Victorian government through Creative Victoria. Until next time, take care.